Hi everyone, welcome to Baby Steps Nutrition, a podcast that focuses on nutrition, health, and wellness for families of children of all ages and stages. I'm your host, Argavon Neil Forouge, a pediatric dietitian and mom of two young children. My goal is to bring you impactful information that you can apply every day in a simplified, practical form to make life easier. Now let's get into today's conversation. According to the National Diabetes Statistics Report, over 1 in 10 people in the United States have diabetes, and more than 1 in 3 people have prediabetes, which is a condition in which blood sugar is consistently high, but not high enough to be type 2 diabetes. Without intervention, it is likely to become type 2 diabetes in a few years. Bridget Wood is a registered dietitian nutritionist, certified diabetes care and education specialist, and a person living with type 1 diabetes. A warm welcome to you, Bridget. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I'm always excited to speak with a fellow dietitian, so this is going to be a great one. Right. It's all about community, so same. Totally. (laughs) Um, Bridget, I love to ask every guest this question, the backstory of how and why you got to where you are today. How did you decide to become a dietitian and why specifically working with people with diabetes? Yeah, so my dietitian journey and diabetes journey kind of go hand in hand. Um, So when I was actually diagnosed, I was actually in my, well, I was in my um, summer before my senior year of high school. And so dietitian wasn't even something that had even come across my radar before being diagnosed. I I had no idea that it existed, um, be completely honest. And then when I enrolled in college, I actually was going to go for pharmacy because let's be honest, my parents wanted me to become a pharmacist. Yes. (laughs) And so I'm like, I'm meeting with my diabetes educator, which was, she was a dietitian. She's retired now. Um, But then as we kind of went on, I was like, I could do this. I could help people like me. And she was very instrumental in kind of shaping my trajectory and becoming a dietitian. And so that's kind of when I changed my major and decided I want to work with people living just like me and I want to be a dietitian and this is what I want to do. So, And I totally relate to that story. I had no idea what a dietitian did. Uh, I knew what a doctor did, a nurse did, a lawyer, different professions that I considered pursuing. But it's only when I stumbled upon this mentorship because another one didn't work out that I realized uh, this is pretty cool. You can be in medicine without having to be any of those other roles. So I I totally get that. Yes, absolutely agree. And to be honest, nursing is I I love my nurses, but bedside is something, you know, more power to them because I couldn't do it. I'm kind of squeamish. So. Right. And what a fascinating industry that we're in, right? Um, who knew mm-hmm. when we started a few years ago, but it's just nutrition comes up all the time. We know 70% of diseases now are nutrition related. So right. there can't be enough of us out there speaking Absolutely. about the importance of nutrition and health. Absolutely agree. It's super um, important. Totally. And Bridget, I would love if you could share with us, what does a day in the life of you look like in terms of health and wellness? And just alongside your journey, what did you learn? What worked? What didn't work? Share everything. 
Absolutely. And I, I actually like talking about this because I really hadn't had it. And I won't even say completely figured out because I'm still learning. You know, we're always going to be learning. But I finally found what has worked for me. Um, you know, previously, I, I'll be completely honest, um, before I really kind of got into my specifics with my degree and learning how the body works and with nutrition, I tried all those fad diets. I had a lot of issues with disordered eating, a lot of them learning to do. Um, so, you know, it would be restricting meals. It would be um, mm -hmm. trying to do those boot camps, you know, those really rough and tough things that probably weren't the best for my body, um, living with diabetes and Hashimoto's. And finally, after, you know, my, my education and after my training, it's it's been a lot more grace, a lot more balance. Um, so today, what I'll do is I'll prep meals on Sunday for like until Wednesday, basically. So I'll have like my breakfast laid out, I'll have my lunch laid out, and I'll have my dinner laid out. So I don't have to worry about that because my schedule can get quite um, frantic during the week. So yes. those are kind of already squared away. And then when it comes to moving my body, um, typically on a weekday, I will work, work out, do a, a quick little bike ride, or, you know, maybe go for a walk with a dog during my lunch break, um, and then do some stretching or something like that um, after after work. And then on the weekends, that's kind of when I do my fun movement activities because I have a little bit more time to go out and explore. So lots of hikes, lots of, you know, walks, all that good stuff when the when the weather permits because it's really hot now. <laughs> yes. It does. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. And so what I love is it sounds like you found a balance and you realize mm -hmm. those extreme lifestyle and, and they're popular, right? There's a whole hashtag diet culture that's out there that people are now speaking out against, but it sounds like you found a way, something that works for you because something that may work for someone else may not work for everybody. But I love and that you found that balance for yourself. Yes, and I love that you said that. Something that works for you might not work for everybody because I was looking at, you know, previously I would look at all these different magazine articles or, you know, mm -hmm. some celebrity or even, you know, other people that I've, I've known and trying to apply those same things for me. And you really can't because we're all different. Um, so it really is going to be what's going to work best for you, what's going to be best for your body and what's going to be sustainable. And, and all those things I was practicing for prior to my education definitely was not sustainable, nor was it good for my body. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. And that brings me to my next question, because as you and I know, as nutrition professionals, there's so many myths, right? We call them myths mm -hmm. because we know, but some people believe in them. And that's maybe the information that's being put out there. With diabetes, what are the myths around diabetes and nutrition that is important for people to know? I would say the biggest thing that I hear, and sometimes, unfortunately, I hear other providers um, kind of saying this to, to clients, is that you can't have carbohydrates with diabetes. That's mm -hmm. not true whatsoever. Um, and there's no specific diabetes diet either, because like we, we kind of mentioned earlier, everybody's different. So everyone's going to need something different. And it's so funny to me because when you look at like the guidelines, when you look at the ADA's website and all that good stuff, it specifically spells out that there is no one diet, one fits all approach for diabetes management. So it's interesting that we have kind of this, these antiquated beliefs with like, you know, the consistent carb, uh, carbohydrate diets that everybody has to be eating 60 grams of carbohydrate each meal. 
a lot mm -hmm. of that stuff is is not even uh, applicable anymore. But yet we're still hearing that and, and clients are still being told that or they're being told no white foods. They can't eat white rice. They can't eat white bread and all so on and so forth. Or they can't eat fruit yes. because fruit has too much sugar. Like what? <laughs> like, right. It's so funny. Yeah, it's not funny, but it, it's just interesting that we're, we're still seeing that um, when the, the science and literature proves otherwise. So. Totally. And as a young dietitian, when I first started, and my experience has been working in children's hospitals, and a part of that would be to work with and educate new families when there was a new diabetes diagnosis. And I remember feeling really confused about the stuff that we were supposed to, you know, it was a protocol, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. it was a very specific piece of paper. And you basically go in the room and you educate the families based on the same thing almost over and over again. And there was mm -hmm. very little uh, leeway or flexibility for that particular family. And I felt like it just seemed very black and white to me. And it's right. now over the years that I realized like that it doesn't have to be that way. And it creates Absolutely. so much more stress for the family than it needs to be mm -hmm. where I'm glad all of this information is coming out now. Yep, absolutely agree. Definitely. Yeah. I had a similar experience when I first started in diabetes education because I had to look at myself and be like, well, I'm not doing this and my A1C is that goal and my time and range is where it's supposed to be. So it, it, it truly, the literature, it doesn't state that. So why are we why are we telling clients this? Like, why does that make any sense? So, yeah. Right. And carbohydrates, we know it gets such a bad rep and carbohydrates for so many people uh, including people in the in the medical industry is associated with sugar, right? Like every carbohydrate right. mm -hmm. food is like bad sugar and we really don't need to be eating it. But we now know like even pairing a carbohydrate with protein and fat, this mm -hmm. can blunt the sugar response. So it's not just to that single food because you have other foods that you're having alongside of it. Absolutely. Like you said, it's not black and white. We have to take into consideration all of the factors. So that is a, a great point. <laughs> yeah. And on the myth, um, what are your particular thoughts on sugar-free foods, artificial sweeteners, sugar substitutes? I They're everywhere, right? They are everywhere. I will say that I do consume those on occasion. I don't consume them all the time. <laughs> so okay. I, you know, I definitely don't think it has to be exclusive. I think people think that they only can enjoy sugar-free desserts, sugar-free beverages, so on and so forth, but it is going to depend on the person and what is going to be more convenient for them. Um, and I, and I'm, I'm speaking from a place for like things like monk fruit, stevia, you know, um, sort of sweetener, like erythritol, all that type of stuff. Um, and so I think people think that they have, especially at diagnosis, they think that they have to utilize some of those items, but for some people, it can cause adverse reactions, right? Stomach upset, uh, which can be gnarly, especially for most people yes. if they eat it in excess too. Um, so I think it has to be taken into consideration on that person's lifestyle, how they're willing to adjust portion sizes to better manage blood sugar levels. Um, I do think it's kind of unfortunate that they're putting them in a wide variety of products, um, just kind of sneaking them in there, even things that aren't sugar-free. Um, mm -hmm. Because again, some people can't tolerate these these things, um, which is understandable. So I think it has to be taken by a case uh, by case kind of situation. Um, but it can be a helpful tool for, for some people, but it doesn't have to be the only tool or the only thing that they're consuming. There can be a, a variety of things that you're, you're consuming from time to time. 
Agreed. And you mentioned a few sweeteners, and these are ones people probably have heard of but may not be as familiar with. Um, can we kind of briefly go through monk fruit? And xylitol is another big one that people may have heard a lot mm-hmm. about and any of their sugar alcohols, so those that end in the OL. If you mm-hmm. can give a little primer on those for the listeners. Yeah, yeah. So so monk fruit is um, kind of one of the other sweeteners. It, it's sourced from a fruit, I believe. I actually don't know the, the origin that well. But <laughs> I do know that it should not elicit a blood sugar response when eaten in moderation. So the thing is, too, with these sugar-free foods that I want to point out is that people think that it won't that they're a free food, right? That they won't mm-hmm. have any impact on their blood sugar levels, but that's not the case, especially with the sugar alcohols. They still can have an input or, excuse me, impact on the blood sugar levels. So you want to be mindful. Um, monk fruit is typically found in um, this popular brand called Lakanto, L-A-K-A-N-T-O. A lot of people use that brand. However, I will say that a lot of the monk fruit products out there are typically mixed with another sugar alcohol because on its own, it can have a bitter taste. So typically, a lot of times people will be consuming these items and not realize that they're actually being mixed with another sugar alcohol. So it's something to be mindful of if you have any um, sensitive sensitivities to any sugar alcohols. Um, kind of going with the sugar alcohols like the xylitol, the all, 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 erythritol. I always struggle pronouncing that. That is another popular one. <laughs> another popular one as well especially that one is especially used in conjunction with stevia and monk fruit Um, and so again it's something to keep in mind because it can cause stomach upset especially it can cause um, diarrhea let's just put it out there if if consumed in excess Um, but it also um, what was I headed with that oh xylitol has been used people use that for like um, for dental health actually it kind of helps with, with cavities, allegedly, is what the, the studies have shown. But anyway, going back to my original rant, <laughs> um, the sugar alcohols, they aren't necessarily free carbohydrates. A portion of that can count towards carbohydrates and thus can have an impact on blood sugar levels. So again, you do want to be mindful when um, looking at the nutrition facts labels, the ingredients list, because you might eat something, consume it, think it's not going to have an impact on your blood sugar level, check your blood sugar, check your blood sugar like two hours later, or look at your CGM graph and see it. And then you have a spike and not and wonder why what's going on. And that could be a reasoning as well. Um, but the ones that I mentioned beyond the, the sugar alcohols, those are going to be naturally derived. So from plant sources. Yeah. And that's another thing. I'm glad you brought it up like stevia, monk fruit. So people will hear the word natural and mm-hmm. think, well, it means that your body can naturally consume those without any ill side effects, but that is not mm-hmm. true either. Um, why mm-hmm. they're popular, like for example, for a monk fruit is it could be like a hundred to 150 times sweeter than sugar. So you definitely need less of it, but mm-hmm. you could still react to it depending on how much you consume. So something mm-hmm. for people to take note, just because it says natural <laughs> doesn't exactly. mean like it's going to feel naturally good for you. Yes, marketing, all marketing. <laughs> yes. Um, speaking of marketing, then there's something, you know, the plant-based diet has really taken off. A lot of people, whether it's just conscious consumerism or they're trying to incorporate more vegetables into their diet. We're hearing so much about plant-based and plant that, right? So it's not just even eating more vegetables, but there are actual products out there that are marketed as plant-based. 
-hmm. How do you feel about those meatless options if someone is looking to be more plant-based? It's kind of gets a little tricky, right? So I, I remember the emergence of the term plant based when we first started hearing it, and it did initially start off as just simply kind of prioritizing or or making sure that you put an emphasis on vegetable consumption when you're pairing or um, putting your meals together. And somehow it got like hijacked, and now it's it's a a synonymous for for veganism, (laughs) and it wasn't at first. So it's it's very interesting. Um, I think. The original plant-based concept of really trying to um, empower people to put more vegetables in their plate and utilize that in their meal planning, I think that is great. Um, I think the meatless products, we do have to be careful because sometimes people will think that it's a better substitution or something that is quote-unquote healthier, right, um, than yes. a meat product instead of doing it um, for you know any ethical reason. They're doing it for health reasons. And sometimes those those nutrition facts or those macronutrients or micronutrients can actually be a lot higher than you would would expect for something that is quote unquote plant-based or it could be the sodium. It could be the the saturated fat. It could be any of those things could be higher. And so sometimes people will eliminate the things that they actually enjoy and then utilize the plant-based products, quote unquote, um, as a way to help with anything that they're managing and then sometimes be in a a worse off position. So I think, you, you know, we always have to be mindful of um, those marketing, you know, hot terms and, and kind of put on our nutrition glasses and see, well, what are they actually saying? Like, I know they're trying to get me to buy this product, but what does this actually mean? And what does this actually entail? And what is this actually going to do? Because sometimes, you know, I've had a lot of clients ask, you know, should I go vegan? And I'm like, well, what is your main goal? Are you going vegan because it's the the thing that you saw on social media and you think that it's going to be a one size fix or a, you know, magic um, solution, or are you going to do it just because you want to do it for ethical reasons or any other reason behind that? And, and often not, it's the, the, the previous <laughs> rather than the latter. So um, it can be very confusing. And I, I definitely understand where people get confused with these different items out there. Yeah. And one particular one I'm thinking of is the Impossible Burger, which Mm -hmm. now has been marketed to be a much healthier alternative to meat-based patties. But then you look in the ingredients list and there's like soy protein concentrate and methylcellulose and gums and all these other things that then you think about like, well, you take one thing away and you're consuming something else. So in those cases, I'm like, why not just have a vegetable-based patty? Mm-hmm. rather than something that tries to mimic meat, but then you get a hundred other ingredients that are actually, exactly. I think you're worse off. So like you said, what is your intention? What is your purpose mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. going exactly. meatless? Yeah. And then of course, everyone tries to jump on the bandwagon with marketing and making money and the bottom line. So unfortunately, as a consumer, you have to be extra diligent about what right. you're substituting one thing with another. Exactly. And then it, it's interesting, too, because you'll you'll look at things and they'll have conflicting messaging, not necessarily saying that the, the, the brands well, the brands do do this, but not necessarily saying that it's them. But like, um, especially a lot of food influencers online or whatever yes. else will be like, well, no processed foods, but then they'll be consuming things like Impossible Burgers or things yes. like that. And it's like, well, that's processed. Yeah, <laughs> so I don't understand. So, yeah. Or certain teas or, I mean, we get, that's a whole other conversation about right. how health is now marketed, but in all the wrong ways. Exactly. 
Um, Bridget, I'm curious to know your thoughts. So one thing that we know has become really popular is this idea of personalized nutrition. So a lot of people, they don't have the diagnosis of diabetes, but we know that insulin resistance is on the rise. A lot of people walking around with unstable blood sugars, some of them may not even know it. So now there's this whole trend with digital health companies uh, with these, and you mentioned this at the beginning, continuous glucose monitoring devices where they're now marketing those to the general population and not just people who have diabetes to mm-hmm. track their blood sugar levels. Um, what are your, what do you think about those? So just briefly for the listeners who don't know what these are, it's just basically you wear this monitor, you see how foods that you eat impact your blood sugar levels, but you can also detect changes with exercise, sleep, and stress. So that's kind of the big rage with, uh, personal nutrition these days in terms of, uh, tracking devices. What are your thoughts on that for just like the average consumer? So I, it's been a a source of controversy within the the diabetes community and rightfully so, um, because we haven't even really fixed access for people living with diabetes within, um, the community in terms of being Mm -hmm. able to afford or access these continuous glucose monitors. So for a lot of people, it rubs them the wrong way to see all these advertisements, um, for, for these people who don't even have the disease, but I will say I do think in these instances where people do have kind of a dysfunction with the the glucose, I think it can be helpful um, because it could help with delaying or even prevention. So I think in in certain cases, it could be a helpful tool. Um, I think, you know, if there isn't any uh, suspicion that there might be any um, issues with, with diabetes or anything like that, I think that, you know, maybe maybe not. <laughs> but for mm-hmm. people who have, you know, a history of diabetes or the concerned of a family history of diabetes, or if they're concerned with maybe developing prediabetes, or they're on the verge of getting it, I don't see why it wouldn't be something that could be utilized um, to kind of know those patterns and see what's going on and kind of keep an eye out. Because uh, again, like, kind of speaking about, you know, just my experience as a, an educator, a lot of times what happens is we, well, not necessarily us as dietitians, but some other providers kind of miss the mark in terms of when the, the client is referred and they might not get in front of us until two, three, five, whatever years after diagnosis. And all of this could be helpful in terms of really avoiding complications, avoiding them from even getting the diagnosis, delaying the diagnosis in some instances. Now, some instances, genetics kind of plays a part and there's really so much we can do, but I think it could be a helpful tool um, for those those people. So, Agreed. And I'm yeah. so glad you said accessibility because that's always a huge problem in this country. Mm-hmm. And I agree, you, you need to be able to make those devices that are really absolutely crucial in the daily quality of life accessible mm-hmm. for those that need it. And I hope that at least cost-wise, um, the supply-demand issue can make them more affordable for people because mm-hmm. we did mention at the beginning, like one in 10 people in the United States have diabetes, but so many more people have insulin resistance and they're headed right. towards diabetes. A lot of people have pre-diabetes. So if they can increase their awareness of like their lifestyle factors, their diet mm-hmm. and what foods impact well, you know, prevention is always the best thing rather than mm-hmm. trying to maintain um, 
their chronic illness. So hopefully insurance companies, uh, medical, medical providers will jump on the bandwagon and we can address that sooner rather than later. Right. And even, you know, I'm glad you mentioned insurance companies because well, they're in the, the business of making money, so it makes sense, yeah. but they yes. can, you know, prevent so many other costs from like procedures that might need to be done from complications or even medications that might, you know, especially um, once people are diagnosed, sometimes they might need one, two, three, four, five, however many uh, medications to manage their, their diabetes. So if we can get out ahead of it, think of how much better it would be. I, I, I don't mm-hmm. know. It's, it's definitely an interesting topic for sure. Yeah. Why not be part of the solution, right? Rather mm-hmm. than the problem. Um, Bridget, when you first meet someone who's been newly diagnosed, that must be so difficult, whether it's type one versus type two. Uh, what do you tell them? Definitely to take it. And now it's going to sound a little bit um, strange, but to take it slow. So when mm-hmm. I remember when I was first diagnosed, it was kind of like information overload. And unfortunately, that really hasn't changed. So focus on what you can attain and what you can do in the now, which you feel like is is definitely attainable, and then kind of take it as a stepwise approach, meaning don't try to change everything overnight. It's going to take, you know, the disease, depending on what it is, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be with you. You know, it's going to be there. So you're going to have to mm-hmm. learn how to adjust and you don't really want to be overwhelmed and have all of that stress. Um, and then also find support and this one is kind of tricky, but if you can find support in an online community, that can make all of a difference. Um, when I was first diagnosed, the diabetes online community isn't wasn't what it is today. And honestly, it would have been so instrumental in just my entire college experience. Um, and even high school. High school was a little bit more open, but my college experience with seeing other people who were testing their blood sugar, wearing pumps, wearing devices my self-esteem and my confidence would have been so much different than um, if I would have had something like the diabetes online community um, at that point in time. So basically in summary, take it, do what you can and kind of go from there and then find a community, find, you know, your tribe, somebody that you can really share those, those difficulties with and kind of relate to because it does make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned overwhelm of information, which can certainly happen, especially with a new diagnosis. If there are resources or credible websites or things that have helped you in terms of books, and you mentioned online community, I would love to link those for the listeners as well to make them yeah, easy to find. I, I would say uh, first for online, I would say beyond type one or beyond type two, those are great resources. Um, and going from there, um, there's also another um they do kind of like adult summer camps for people living with type one connected in motion. Um, mm-hmm. They're also a good resource. And they have like a, they also have virtual, um, they call them slipstreams, but it's kind of like a virtual camp that you could do and have, um, they have all different types of speakers that present on nutrition, mental health, so on and so forth. Those are great. Black diabetic girl is an excellent resource. She has a lot of free um, kind of, not necessarily weekly, but she'll have kind of free um, different events, virtual events that you can meet with other people. She might have like a speaker or might just be talking about different things within diabetes, a lot of community-based education. Um, in terms of stuff that I had when I was diagnosed, it's been a while, so they're kind of like 
um, outdated, but I will say the thing that uh, I was given that actually did kind of help was Calorie King was a book and now yes. it's an app. So it's really helpful with like um, carb counting and kind of getting a grasp on that type of thing and kind of knowing, um, having a good starting point because carb counting is still something that a lot of people, you know, have difficulty with and it's never going to be an exact science because you can't always know for sure if you're out and about Um, but it definitely can help be a a guidance and a guideline so perfect and I will include those as well and the more and it's like practice with everything the more you practice the easier that it does get but knowing where to go initially for what's credible and filtering through the noise is always the biggest help I feel Mm -hmm. exactly and then in terms of nutrition education for people with diabetes, where do you see that direction headed? Hopefully more personalized the more that we, we learn and, and know. Um, <clears throat> because again, it isn't, it isn't a one-size-fits-all approach. And so I hope we can get away from, you know, not necessarily us as we know that, you know, everything, all foods fit, right? Um, mm-hmm. But for other providers and other people not really focusing on taking away, but focusing on what you can do with the tools that you have and things that you can add to really promote the best you. Right. So I hope that Mm -hmm. is more um, something that we shift to more individualized education, um, having the tools to do so the time, um, the resources, so on and so forth. So I hope that's really where we end up going. Um, And especially with more of the science, hopefully more emergence on those types of things. Because again, some some foods aren't going to be tolerated by some people. And that's understandable um, in terms of the blood sugar response. So the more that we know, the more that we can address it and the better, you know, the quality of life can be. Um, So... Yeah. And I think the downside of social media and influencers, and some people have great intentions, but some people do not. And I think this is where it's so tricky for people to, like I mentioned, filter through the noise. Um, We know a lot of specific diets that were used to treat certain illnesses have now become mainstream, right? Like ketogenic is one of those, Mm -hmm. the low carbohydrate, no carbohydrate, certainly getting huge traction. And as we just talked about, like continuous glucose monitoring devices that were intended for people with diabetes are now being used in the mainstream market for people just to get an idea of their blood sugar spikes throughout the day. Do you feel all of this has really overwhelmed people or do you feel like it's empowering people? I think it can. It really just depends. Um, I think for a lot of people, it is overwhelming because they'll see it on social media, they'll see it in a magazine, we'll be like checking out for groceries and you'll see a magazine that says lose 60 pounds in basically two weeks or something like Mm -hmm. that for keto or something that's like, that is outrageous. So you're being bombarded by all this misinformation and it can be confusing, especially when you come to the experts like a registered dietitian or, uh, you know, an RDCDCES or anything like that. And they are telling you something completely opposite. It really does kind of contribute to some of that overwhelm. However, I will say um, that I'm hoping that with that being said, we start to really navigate throughout all of the noise and really start to use more evidence-based um, approaches using some of these tools um, so that we can kind of, not necessarily keto, because that definitely is something that I don't promote. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I mean, in terms, of, in terms of diabetes management, but I mean, in terms of 
you know, maybe it is um, taking those, again, those CGMs and utilizing it to see when your blood sugar is spiking because your blood sugar is going to spike even if you don't have diabetes. It's going to fluctuate. It's not going to be a static line. So I think that it's also something that, you know, you want to take with a grain of salt, but also there are some hidden gems in some of these situations that you can use, but the, the vast majority of the, the message can be kind of harmful and overwhelming. Agreed. Even for us, right? And we're in the industry and I feel right. like there's constantly something to keep up with. And, right. you know, people will try to argue with you or people will use Dr. Google or, or some mm-hmm. other online source and you just have to go, okay, it's not their fault. It's just, there's just right. too much out there because I've been in that position many times. Right. And I, I also would, I'll take this moment to hope and, and, and say that hopefully we can have alignment with other disciplines in the healthcare field. Cause there's been times where, where, you know, doctors or nurses have, you know, said to patients, Oh, try keto or, or, Oh, yes. you can only eat these fruits or something like that. And it's like, well, you guys know, this isn't the, these aren't the guidelines. This is, this is not evidence-based. Like, please don't, don't say this misinformation because it's only further hurting the, the, the whole issue. It's not, it's not helping. <laughs> yes. And I'm so glad you brought this up because I was thinking there's this highly um, influential uh, medical uh, figure online that I follow who whom I respected and followed his evidence-based research, but he made this one claim about, like you said at the beginning, fruit and avoiding all fruit and it's too much mm-hmm. sugar and we shouldn't be giving it to our kids. And I remember feeling so angry about that. Mm-hmm. And I did comment and and respond and say, this is the stuff that we need to be getting away from, right? Like when we take right. healthy foods and we make them into a trigger food or a bad food, and then mm-hmm. we have all this other stuff that people are already confused about, then we are really doing more harm. So we need to just stop doing things like that. Absolutely. Like if you want to help, just refer them to the dietitian, refer them to the mm-hmm. diabetes educator. Like that's what we need you to do, not to, to spout these outrageous and wrong claims. <laughs> right. Especially it's about foods that we already find in nature, right? It's like, what are exactly. we doing? Exactly. Um, Bridget, where can our listeners find out more about you and your work? Yeah. So to, I'm, I always say this on everything that I do, but I need to go ahead and create a website. But for mm-hmm. now, <laughs> they can follow me on Instagram at balance with Bridget Wood. Um, so I basically post recipes. It's basically just me being me as a type mm-hmm. 1D and RD CDCES. And I also have a blog series with Gluco. So on Gluco's blog, um, I have a healthy eating series as well that they can follow along with too. So Awesome. And that link is in your bio. So easy to find. And I will share all of those in the episode show notes. Um, Bridget, thank you so much for being here today. It's been such a great conversation. Yes, I enjoyed it so much. Thank you. Yes. And all these things we talked about are, you know, quote unquote, hot topics, because there's so many people that are living with fluctuating blood sugar levels. But also we know that it's an epidemic of metabolic disease. So Mm-hmm. It's been wonderful to speak with someone who has sound, credible advice, but also someone who lives with diabetes and is managing her own care. So I feel like mm-hmm. quadruple the value. <laughs> I'm always happy to just talk about it. So it's definitely been a journey for me. So I'm glad that I can do what I set out to do and really help others like me. So, 
Well, we appreciate that. And a big goal of this conversation for listeners was to filter through the noise and really get back to not just the basics, but credible sound information. So hopefully we were able to achieve that. And to the (laughs) listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Baby Steps Nutrition Podcast with your host, Argavan Neuforush. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into all the tips and tricks you and your family can use to make daily life a little easier. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please leave a rating and review, share with others, and follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Baby Steps Nutrition Podcast. As always, you can head over to babystepsnutrition.com to sign up for our email list, as well as check out all the links and resources in the show notes. See you next time. Tune in. Feel great.